the American League Championship. I don't believe it. It just continues. My oh. High fly ball into right field. She is gone. The drives one. It's the FSS Plus Podcast with Joe Doyle. I'm Jason Churchill. Uh, Joe, right here at the top, baseball is supposed to be fun. Is it not? Am I wrong about baseball? Baseball is supposed to be fun. I have a theory here I'm going to throw at you right out of the gate at the top of the show. But but yes or no, baseball is supposed to be fun, right? I mean, that's the you're lie that I was told. You're, you're I got thinking. into this. <laughs> you're thinking I got about into it. this industry loving the game, and I was told it's fun. Mm. What about you? You seem to have stuck around for a while. You were told that this was fun. Yeah, uh, I, I think baseball is fun. He, here's the here's the theory I have. The more it matters, the less fun the fans seem to have. When you think about, well, you're just pulling uh, us right out of Spider Man. No, what I'm saying great here, power. a little bit, a little bit, yeah. But what I'm saying here is, Major League Baseball fans are either elated or they hate the world. Their team either sucks or their team is amazing. There's no in between, and it, for either one of those, there's no in between. You go down to the college level. And you get a chance to look at teams in the regionals and the super regionals, like teams that were eliminated early, those fan bases, even in the South, even in the SEC, ACC, even where baseball is king, those fan bases are not losing their minds in disappointment. They're not losing their gourds in frustration. Now, I'm not saying they're happy their team is out. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, their their reaction to their team being knocked out isn't anywhere near what it is in Major League Baseball. I'm saying the more it matters, the bigger it is, the bigger discrepancy, I think, in in what percentage of fans are actually loving this. It's just it's just an observation. It doesn't really mean anything. It's just an observation. And I think it's it's kind of funny to me. It's disappointing in a way, but it's kind of funny to me how few fans in Major League Baseball are actually having fun watching their team. Like your team either has to be on its way to a hundred win season in a World Series, or at least have a really good yeah. chance at it, or your fan base hates you and is tired of you and is done and is complaining every day. And you know, obviously Seattle's where I'm seeing this the most, but I see this in San Diego. I see I'm seeing this yeah. in Philadelphia right now. Joe, like Philly, not the start they expected. St. Louis, not the start they expected. The Cubs, Cubs fans have just have had it. They are they're about ready to trade the Cubs for the White Sox. That's how bad they make it sound. Oh, That's absolutely how bad they make it sound. It's absolutely crazy. But you don't see that in college. It's just that maybe more loyalty in college. I, I don't know what you, it is. Who are, who's the who's the most feverish fan base? Like the most Unfairweather fans out there in Major League Baseball. Yeah, I, I would say what the they Card- all have in common. I I would say it's the Cardinals. Okay, the Cardinals. The I, I will agree with you. I think the Cardinals have uh, top three fans, um, but they're also always good. 
They're always competitive. They always in your life in your lifetime develop talent. In your lifetime, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. well, that's a long time. But I mean, that's it, I can it's, it's it's twenty plus years. Yeah, you're right. It's twenty plus years. But you go no, back but, to the nineties, and it, it was not like that. And Cardinals fans just, just kind of like, cool, ho hum. I still love the Cardinals. Let's go over the last ten years. I would say the Orioles fan base is, I mean, committed. I would sure. say the Royals fan base. While I'm I'm talking about the fan bases that are the most quote unquote online. Sure. The Royals fan base, committed, and Seattle. I would say that those three fan bases are just very public. They're very present in the game. Mm-hmm. I think all three of those teams embrace prospects. They embrace sure. the development. They embrace mm-hmm. the grind. They've never been blessed with the huge payrolls, or not recently. And so mm-hmm. I think those teams, when they are competitive and they feel as though their window is creaked open, the, the expectations get blown through the roof 100%. because you've just never been there, right? Like, hey, yeah. I've been through, I've been dragged through the mud. We've been there with you through thick and thin. We watched, you know, name your prospect. We, we've been waiting for this guy for five years and now he's here. Why aren't we good? And I think, uh, I think that kind of contributes into the, into the type of narrative that you're saying. I agree. And I think in Major League Baseball, things take so much time. And I don't mean the games or the innings or at bats. I'm not talking about the pitch, the clock or anything like that. Things take time when a team struggles. It takes time for them to figure it out. It's not just the next week you made an adjustment with your defense and now things are better like the NFL. It just just doesn't work that way. It takes weeks and sometimes months to really get where that team should actually be. You know, one of the things that that I've been thinking about a lot is if, if you're the Padres or you're the you know, the Diamondbacks or the Giants or like you have to consider things like I, I think about the Astros a lot, Joe. The Astros, what they lost 100 games three years in a row. I think that was 2011 through 2013. Then they went 70 and 92. So they were 19 games better and still only won 70 games. The very next year, they went to the division series with 86 wins. And it looked like we're here. We are 2015 going into 2016. We're ready to take a huge step forward. And you know what happened? The Houston Astros took a step backward and won 84 games, 11 games out, and missed the playoffs. You know what happened the year after that? They won the World Series. And we know what's happened every year after that. They've been in the LCS uh, or the World Series every year since since 2017. So sometimes things just don't happen. Alluding to here. No, just any fan base who's who's like, all right, like Toronto, they are out of their minds right now about that team. They're out of their minds. They're absolutely for good reason. I mean, that you, you you can see that you can see the sand dial mm-hmm. ticking down with with Bichette and Biggio. I know Biggio hasn't performed, but Bichette and Biggio and Vlad and some of these contracts right. coming to an end, like for for good reason. I, I gotta let me throw you another question. Do you think the acceleration of social media and this like instant gratification culture that has been mm-hmm. built up over the last ten years yeah. has to do with this? Because I, I look back, oh, yeah. and I know it's easy for me to quote. Seattle because I've lived here my whole life mm-hmm. but I look back at like when Seattle acquired you know Franklin Gutierrez and uh, you know just that package of prospects right back then it was these guys are all you know for 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 the cultural sense they're all slapdick guys right we're trading mm-hmm. top talent for prospects prospects never turn into anything well back right. then that wouldn't have been anything it wouldn't wouldn't have moved the needle but today the public knows those mm-hmm. prospects so intimately before they arrive and expectations are placed on those prospects so intimately 
before they arrive that it's almost like you receive a kid that's in high A and it's like, okay, when's he going to be here? We've been promised right. greatness. Mm-hmm. When's he going to be here? That didn't yep. used to exist. And when it doesn't work, again, it's a it's kind of a football culture in a in baseball fandom. Okay, so if it doesn't work, you fire the head coach and the GM, right? Because sometimes in two years in the NFL, occasionally even you know less time than that, the the coach or the GM gets fired. You know, Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona probably got too much time. You know, uh, it's and in, and in baseball, it just, you just can't do that after 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 games, or even a disappointing season. Like if the Toronto Blue Jays go out and have a disappointing 2023, are you firing the manager and the general manager? I'm not like, not necessarily. You'd have to, there'd have to be something else going on. Like I just didn't believe that guy was capable of taking this team to the next level just because he didn't this year. You know, it makes me dig a little more. But I'm not firing that guy. And I think that's what fans want. Fans want huge payrolls, constant change, constant action, constant activity that tells them they care, they're paying attention, they listen. Unfortunately, it just doesn't work that way in baseball and shouldn't work that way in baseball. Um, So, yeah. I just agree for Aaron Rodgers. There is no Aaron Rodgers in baseball. There's no Aaron Rodgers in baseball. The Jets are saved. (laughs) That's very, very true. The, The Jets are saved with one trade. Well, theoretically speaking, you're not doing that with any baseball team. If your baseball team is mediocre to bad right now, there's no one trade that fixes it. There's no, no one player. You could put Aaron it. you could put Aaron Judge on the Philadelphia Phillies. Does that fix their season? No. Aaron Nola has to turn if it up a notch. Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler. If you sent both of them, Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler to the Chicago mm-hmm. Cubs, are they winning their division? Are the Cubs eh, winning that I mean, division? Maybe a conversation. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't still think, think the so. Brewers win that division. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've dug themselves a little, to, a little too Cubs, much. Of a the hole. Cubs are supposed to be close. Baseball is, man, like when people talk about roster building, it really is about building an entire cog. It's not about mm-hmm. just. It's also know, constant. Trey Turner. I'm glad you brought this up, Joe. This is a really good point. It's also constant. Building a roster isn't like this. This action that takes place during a specific range of the the calendar year, and then you're done. It is every single day. Because things happen. Injuries happen. Players don't play like you expect them to. Sometimes players play significantly better than you expect them to. It is a constant thing. It is a a 26-man, a 40-man roster in baseball. It is a living, breathing creature that you have to continue to feed. Uh, as And sometimes it's just make sure he gets enough food and water. Sometimes it's, wow, we need to take him to the doctor. So He needs medication. Like sometimes you need a fix. Uh, there are teams yeah. out there that need fixes, that things just aren't working. Uh, there are teams out there where you just give them water. Just give them water, watch it grow. And that's what we thought that the Blue Jays were going to be in 2023. That's what we thought Seattle was going to be in 2023. That's what we thought the Orioles would be in 2023, and they have been. Uh, that's what the Rays seemingly always constantly and consistently are. It, it's just, I don't know, I guess the word is it, it's not as predictable as other sports. And I really think the football culture in fans takes over. And I think that might be that in the social media aspect you brought up might be the biggest difference between college baseball fans and major league baseball fans. I would even venture to guess Joe that fans of South Carolina baseball, for example, that are huge fans of South Carolina baseball are probably I don't know, Orioles fans or Braves fans or something like that too, but I bet they deal with 
their fandom differently with South Carolina, with USC, with the Gamecocks, that program, than they do the Braves or the Orioles. I bet they handle it completely differently, which is fascinating to me. Now I want to get a South Carolina Gamecocks fan on here that's also like a Braves fan or something. We should uh, we should wrap this little segment up by saying, man, sports in general have changed so much. Yeah. College athletics are uh, a shattered mirror of what they used to be. Mm-hmm. The PGA still, Tour still is still very, now, very entertaining, but yes, it has changed. It the has PGA changed. Tour is now at least fractionally governed by an international body. Oof. Major League Baseball is now like an entire life cycle from high school through the big leagues with expectations set on seemingly every seventh round pick uh, from the time they're a teenager. I mean, it's just like, it's crazy, man. Sports, sports uh, in general are just, bowling is. is the same, I think. Bowling, curling, curling, one of the most underrated. Curling is. Uh, I heard ice is activity. melting though, so it is. Can't run out of means, that, and that means we use more energy to keep the curling surface in great shape, mm-hmm. which is also sad. So maybe I shouldn't be pushing curling on people. All right, uh, here's what we're gonna do: the MLB draft. We're gonna talk MLB draft. We're gonna dive into the catcher market. So every week before we go live, I either throw some stuff at Joe that I'm thinking about, and he goes, "Yeah, let's do this," and then let's add this. Or today, I just went. What are you thinking about? What's going on in your head right now? And he said he's thinking about high school catchers. High school catchers are a very interesting demographic in the Major League Baseball draft. So we're going to dive into that and how it pertains to some recent draft picks and prospects and a current one or two. Uh, But I want to start off the show talking about the Miami Marlins, Joe, if we could, to go back to Major League Baseball just uh, just for a few minutes here. The Marlins are fascinating to me because when you watch this team and then you look at the numbers, there's really nothing they do that's amazing. They're not elite at anything. In fact, if you're a run differential fan, which I'm not, they're minus 24 and they're seven that's games incredible. over 500. Yeah. You, you know, you, you look at, uh, there's seven games over 500. They're minus 24. You look at a team like, uh, I don't know, Boston, seven runs over, they're plus seven and they're 500. The, the Cleveland Guardians are 28 and 33, and they're minus 29. So essentially the same as Miami, but there's a five-game difference. It's crazy how baseball works, but I think that Miami team is in a really interesting spot. They're in second place in the National League East. They are only three games back of the Atlanta Braves in the division, and they, they have a two-game wildcard lead. Two games right now in the National League. It's the Dodgers, Miami. And Pittsburgh, you get the Giants a half game back, the Mets two and a half back, Philadelphia three back, but Miami is two and a half, four and a half, and five ahead of those three teams. San Diego is five and a half behind Miami. As we sit here 60 plus games into the season, 63 for Miami, they're in really good shape. And I think if you ask them, ask that ball club, they'd be like, yeah, this is where, this is about where we expect it to be. This is this is absolutely where we expect it to be. I think the question now, if you're a if you're a Marlins fan, if you're a baseball fan, what happens now? What does Kim Ang yeah. and that that ball club, that front office do when the trade deadline comes? Like what what is there for them to we know they have talent. We we know that's the way it works. We we know 
Uh, Miami's very, I mean, the arms galore. They traded Pablo Lopez because they had like another 12 high-end arms in the minors that were within a year of the big leagues. So they could get Luis Arrives, who's hitting 400, by the way. But when you look at that Marlins club, the one thing they don't do is spend money. And I just wonder how creative Kim Ng and her staff is going to be in turning the lack of payroll flexibility into adding impact at the trade deadline. I'm not saying just this season, but this is really, it appears, going to be her first opportunity to buy at the deadline with this current season being the whole point. I mean, they've spent, what, 130, $134 million, which is one of the lowest payrolls in baseball. Uh, that's their luxury tax number. Their cash out is barely over $100 million, but they have talent. How aggre- like, like I'm going to put you in Kim Ng's shoes. Okay. Um, hmm. I'm going to put, yeah, you're going to be walking around and, and you know, I, I don't know if she wears your size, so this might be a little tight. Be careful, but I'm going to put, <laughs> I'm going to put you in her office just for a second. If I told you, you had a two game lead for the number two wild card, you were three games up on the next closest team at the all-star break. How aggressive is Miami Marlins general manager Joe Doyle this season, considering how young that roster is, considering the lack of payroll flexibility you have, not just this year, but even moving forward. We don't know anything about what might change there in Miami, if ever, in terms of payroll. What do you do? Yeah, I'm not uh, I'm not buying like crazy. I, I, think you, I, I think you kind of undersold how lucky this team has been i mean i mean the run differential i think the run differential does tell you a little something right i mean they're they're pythagorean on baseball references 29 and 34 they're they're Mm -hmm. outpacing what they should be by 12 games but i I just gave you we just fast forwarded 30 games and they're still in the position they are so are you sitting there thinking well i mean if that's the game lead like We've been lucky, so maybe I'm not going to be as aggressive. Is that kind of how you do it? So I look at it like this. like The Marlins are going to be a team that nobody wants to run into in October. They've got Jesus Lazardo, who's been money. They've got Sandy Alcantara, who has been very good, but somehow a shell of what he was. Edward Cabrera looks like he looks he looks like a real dude. So you don't want to run into these guys in October, but at the same time, it's like, I think 30 games from now, you kind of have to take stock of what the rest of the league looks like. If, mm-hmm. if if you're still in this position, but you know, you're tied with the Mets or, you know, the Phillies are roaring and they're right there and you're still kind of skating. It's hard for me. I look at it like this. The Marlins are so confusing for me. They've been incredibly lucky and I, I'm not sure there is a farm system in baseball that is performing worse than the Miami yeah. Marlins. They have this is true. Mm-hmm. almost, they have n- next to nothing performing. Jacob Amaya has been good. He's at AAA. He'll probably be up soon. Xavier Edwards has gotten a cup of coffee. I'm sure that he's going to be up for an extended look here. He's been just, he's been like 370 across mm-hmm. Major League Baseball and AAA this year. But besides that, with the exception of Yuri Perez, he's been pretty awesome. Everyone has been terrible. Yeah, Max so, Meyer hasn't even pitched. Jacob Berry sitting under 200. Mm-hmm. Jake Lots Eater's been hurt. Dex Fulton's working his way back. Like, Sixto Sanchez hasn't thrown a baseball in three years. Like, I I struggle to look at this team, and I, I struggle to look at their farm, and I go, you know, if you're going to move pieces for 
significant value, who are you going to move? Like what, what are teams going to want that isn't at the top of your farm system? I, I look at what the Mariners did in 2021. 2021, Seattle was greatly outpacing their record. Uh, they were well they were ahead the of where they probably They were the Marlins, absolutely. They were the Marlins. And what did they do? They moved a reliever in Kendall Graveman that was not controllable. And they went and got Abraham Toro and, and, and they brought in Tyler Anderson to just kind of grab innings for a team that was running out mm -hmm. of pitching. But more importantly, I think that the thing that they did that kind of moved the needle for 2022 was they brought in Diego Castillo. Castillo mm -hmm. was getting expensive. The Rays were, you know, they didn't want to pay him. And he kind of filled a leverage role for the team in 2022. Mm -hmm. I think that's what the Marlins have to do. I think they need to go and they need to make more moves that improve the bullpen for 2024, get controllable, young, talented arms, and maybe do more of the same with like what they did with the Joey Wendell move. And, you know, I think Luis Arias was a bigger splash in what they need to do, but improve on the margins, improve your chances to win more one run games moving forward, which is incredible considering they're winning 80% of them right now. But I think that's kind of the key to success for 2024. Spend a little bit this off season, hope that your pitching takes another step forward. And um, I just can't see this as a sustainable contender. But I'll finish with this. This is a little bit long-winded. If the Mets and the Phillies are where they are today, 30 days from now, mm -hmm. then I think you do have to kind of go. Because then two teams would kind of sort of be out of your way a little bit. Like you're kind of expecting yeah. because Miami's been a little lucky and things are a little bit weird in the National League with them right now that – the chances of Miami holding that the lead they have now probably aren't great. I, I'm with you there. I, I think Philly's going to play well enough to avoid going into seller mode. I know a lot of folks are out there thinking, oh, they could trade Aaron Nola. I mean, it's possible, but I don't see them trading anybody else, even if they're even if they're not contending. Really, I, I don't think the Phillies are calling this off. I think the Phillies are making moves to to win now at that club, but. Miami, yeah, they're a tough one. It is tough because you're right. They don't have a bunch of guys training in the right direction in their farm system. They've already traded from their strength of arms. Some of their arms, you mentioned Sanchez. I mentioned Max Meyer uh, have injuries that have kept them out. There's a couple other guys that are dealing with uh, with injuries as well. Um, uh, one of their top lefties has made one start all season. Um, uh I think Dax Fulton has made a handful of starts, but uh, hasn't been very good. They just don't have guys that, that teams are going to be knocking down the door to get. So impact might be a little difficult to get. And that's why I brought up payroll, Joe, because the, another way to get impact is to take on a salary. And, I, and Miami's just mm -hmm. never been that team. They're just like, like, oh, could they go get Cody Bellinger? No, that doesn't make any sense for a team like Miami. You know, he's making some money. He's probably going to be a free agent at the end of the year with his with his opt-out. Miami would be renting a player. Does that sound like anything the Marlins would ever do in, basically in the the modern existence of that franchise? It doesn't. It, it, it absolutely doesn't. But I do think they're going to do some things because I think this is it. Like, we don't know where they're going to be next year. And they are in one of those divisions that theoretically should be more like the American League East this year. That National League East, the Mets haven't played as well as we expected them to. We expect them to be good year to year. We expect the Phillies, at least for now, to be good year to year. The Braves are set up for the long haul. Miami's not going to have a lot of these opportunities. So that's why I'm kind of thinking, I think she's going to do something. I think they're going to make a couple of moves and try to augment that team. I just don't think it's going to be major, and I think they're a little bit limited. So uh, interesting. it's a good point about uh, 
you brought up the the Pythag on them, which includes things like run differential and schedule and things of that nature. But sometimes you just can't argue with a team getting it going. I mean, you made the a very apt comparison. Seattle in 2021, everybody was talking about the run differential. Yeah, but the run differential is minus 43. So they actually suck and have been incredibly lucky, except their luck didn't run out before the season. They won 90 games that year. They didn't get into the postseason, but they kept winning at the same pace all year long, despite the fact that their run differential was low. So uh, one of those really interesting, I'm not a big run differential guy. I don't like staring at that. Um, but I would understand why people would look at that and say, maybe, just maybe, it's kind of like batting average on balls in play. Not a big fan, but sometimes it can tell you to look deeper at some things. I, I'm fascinated by what the Marlins are doing and the direction of that club and you know, kind of speeding it up a little bit in my head. Might this be a year and a unique year because Kimming doesn't know how many opportunities she's going to get like this. Don't you have to kind of at least in a very small way sort of go for it? I, that's just kind of what I'm thinking right now. Yeah, totally agree. I think you're right when you say, you know, the Phillies and the Mets and and those teams have, have way bigger payrolls. Like they're always going to feast year in and year out with the talent that they've got. So this is an opportunity for the Marlins to splash and make the playoffs. You know, they surprised a lot of people in 2020 when they made the playoffs with a young roster. Granted, it was a 60 right. game season, but, you know, they went for it in that regard. Maybe this is Maybe this is another opportunity for them to do it. But at the same time, if you're a team like the Marlins that doesn't intend on spending, you mm. can't tear down the farm system uh, no. to make a splash in, in one year. Find a way to, I don't know, maybe they make a sideways move. They have a guy like uh, like Jorge Soler, who's having a good year. He's 240, 330, 525 with 17 homers. He's running a 129 WRC plus right now. Uh, he's 31 years old. Uh, the strikeout rates are very reasonable at 25.6%. Uh, his contract, he can opt out at the end of the season. If he continues to have the year he's having, he's probably going to. If you're Miami, might you try to do something with that player and that contract, similarly to what the Blue Jays did over the winter with Teoscar Hernandez? He only had one year left. They turned him into a cheaper piece and a piece they could use out of the bullpen. I'm not saying that makes the Marlins better, specifically getting a bullpen piece that you control for two or three years, but I can see a sideways trade deadline, even if you know a Solaire for a reliever deal isn't exactly sideways, but I could see that. And it would be feeding one of the uh one of the, the most shallow areas of that club. And that's that's that bullpen that you mentioned. So I would keep an eye on Jorge Soler, even though they're winning. You just never know. You have to be creative. That might be uh might be one way to do it. All right. Let's talk draft, Joe, because uh, by my math, Mr. Doyle, we're about a month out. As we sit here and record this, I believe we are 31 days away from day one of the 2023 MLB draft. And one of the more interesting things, one of the more interesting demographics, the more difficult to project, I would even say, is high school catchers. And a lot of times what happens is you get a guy you know, hey, this guy might be a top 10 pick. And then all of a sudden the draft gets closer. And what happens to those players, Joe? We've seen it time and time again. It, ha it seems to happen just about every year. We hear about a prep catcher possibly being a top five or 10 pick. What happens to those guys as the draft gets closer? 
Well, I mean, they tumble. They're, they're, it's the riskiest out, outside of right-handed high school pitching because of the injury concerns. It's the most volatile demographic there is. These guys take five years to get to the big leagues. A lot of times you see these guys, for lack of a better word, flounder in A ball for three years. So uh, because of that, they get pushed down the board a little bit in favor of you know college bats that might be at the big league level in two years and you know fit a more aggressive competitive window. But I think we're seeing some young catchers right now in baseball that might buck that trend. And, and this draft class has an especially talented catcher that uh, I think could buck that trend as well. Yeah. Tell us about it. I believe you're talking about Blake Mitchell from Sinton. Tell us about Blake Mitchell. Uh, what kind of an athlete is he? Is he bat first? Uh, what are the projections on Blake Mitchell in terms of the player and in terms of round one of this draft? It does seem like as much as somebody like you or me can say, it does seem like he's a consensus top 25, top 30 player. That doesn't necessarily guarantee he's going to go in round one, but that does seem to be where most people have Blake Mitchell. Yeah, I think when you talk about high school catchers, there's always a, there's always a but, right? There's always a, well, they don't, they don't do that. Like Tyler Soderstrom, mm-hmm. 60 hit, 60 power. You say that and you're like, geez, this guy, did, you know, that, that deserves to be a top 10 pick. But, you know, he might end up at first base. It's a big body. It's not the most athletic. You know, mm-hmm. Harry Ford, I think, is another example. Harry Ford was actually drafted where he was drafted, I think, 11th overall because he was such an insane athlete. And there were so many mm-hmm. ways to get him on the field, even if it doesn't work behind the plate. But, you know, Drew Romo's a guy that fell, didn't know if, didn't know if he could hit. Uh, there's a number of guys that just kind of fall down boards for different reasons. Blake Mitchell is as physical an athlete behind the plate as I've seen in the six years that I've been doing this, mm-hmm. he can do it all. I mean, he's up to 98 on the mound and every bit of that arm strength plays behind the plate. Uh, he's had pop times that are on video that are sub one, eight, five, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely crazy for a high school kid. It wasn't a pitch out. It was a one, eight, five, um, left-handed power plus power projection probably only an average hit tool like but still i mean if you're talking about a guy that has a chance to hit 265 270 at the big league level with 25 home runs and you know have one of the top two or three best arms in the league that's a great at some point you just kind of say at some point you just have to say and, and and he's been a dude since he was in like ninth grade so mm-hmm. a lot of scouts think you know if there was a catcher that was going to move quick and has kind of handled a staff before and has played at, you know, whatever it is, 7A in Texas, like the highest mm-hmm. league. It's probably Blake Mitchell. So he's probably going to be another one of these guys like Harry Ford that goes in the top 15 and, and sticks behind the plate. Kind of an athlete, very rare, Jason. Kind of an athlete is he, like if, if we were just to just play devil's advocate here and say Blake Mitchell, not a catcher, uh, even though the consensus seems to be he's got a great shot to do that. Uh, what are we talking about here? We're we talking about a guy who can run and there's there's plenty of agility, lateral agility, uh, obviously plenty of arm to play anywhere else on the field. But if you had to put him at another position, does that start to worry you? Does that drop him out of the top 100 if I say definitely not a catcher and, and you had to believe me? If we do that and we, we remove catcher from it, how far does he fall? I don't think he falls that far. I mean, Tyler Soderstrom had that. If, if you think he's going to move off catcher, Tyler Soderstrom from 2020, I think, with Oakland mm-hmm. is probably the perfect example. He went, I want to say like 21st when a lot of people thought he was going to go 
10 to 15 to the White Sox, to some of those teams. So, yeah, I don't think he falls that far. Ultimately, I think if you go back to like last June, June 2022, there were like just some initial discussions like, what does this look like if it doesn't stay behind the plate? It's probably third base. The arm strength clearly plays at, at any position. He moves well. It's a projectable body. He's not overgrowing his frame yet. So, yeah, I mean, if you're talking about a left-handed hitting third baseman with plus power and defensive chops, that that certainly plays all over the first round. The handedness makes a little bit of a difference here. Um, Definitely. I would, wouldn't say it's a dictating difference, but that does make a difference here. And the fact that you said maybe it's third base instead of going directly to first base that to me is the biggest difference. Like if you're telling me Blake Mitchell's not a catcher, but the first move probably to third base and the next move is probably to right field. And I don't, I don't hear first base in those first two uh, thoughts. I'm feeling a lot better about the athlete. And you mentioned Harry Ford, great athlete. Maybe he can end up playing third. Maybe he could play left. There's even people that, that have thought about second base or center field for Harry Ford. That does make a big difference in, in your confidence uh, because the, these are risks. Everything you do here. Uh, is a I'm big on that. Every trade you make, every DFA, every roster move, it's a wager. You're making a bet. The draft is also making a bet. If you're making a bet, probability, risk, things like that certainly come into play. Athleticism going to do uh, Blake Mitchell well here. Uh, who's next on that list? When you look at it, it's not a bit. It's not a real strong class, at least near the top with prep catchers. But there's a couple more in the top. Oh, I don't know, fifty to one hundred. 50 to 150 range, I believe. Who's yeah. who's next on that list? Are we talking about the Huntington Beach kid? Yeah, it's light, man. I mean, you're, you're talking about Rafi, uh, Ralphie Velasquez next. <laughs> Most scouts that I've talked to, and, and we've, going back to my actual live looks days, most people don't think that he has a shot at catching. Mm-hmm. He's almost certainly a first baseman. And, like, this is what we're talking about. Like, people throw the same sorts of great, like, People call it a plus hit tool with potential for above average power with Ralphie. And instead of being talked about in the top 20, again, physical left-handed bat, we're talking about a kid that's probably going to go closer to the 30 to 50 range. Mm -hmm. So the position makes a huge difference. Um, But again, there's, you know, he's not even as good as an athlete as Tyler Soderstrom and Soderstrom moved out from behind the plate within months of being Mm -hmm. drafted. So the other one is a really interesting guy. We can talk about these two in a minute if you want. Uh, Zion Rose out of out of IMG Academy. He's a Chicago, Illinois uh, native. He's a he's a really polarizing player because like his athletic testing is off the charts. Uh, he can run like he's a plus runner. In in a lot of ways, he he is kind of like Harry Ford in that he's a really good runner, really big bat speed, but just really not a refined product behind the plate. There's been some below average uh, arm strength. Uh, concerns thrown on him and people think that he might move to center field mm. so and and he's already six foot one 215 pounds so he doesn't have a whole lot of projection left he's being talked about as like a third rounder fourth rounder fifth rounder so it's a it's a polarizing position i mean oh, i don't know man it's yeah, it doesn't a tough one it I, doesn't I sound like it doesn't sound like there's really uh more than than a small handful of guys that are going to go in the top five or six rounds that that have a even you know 10 or 20 percent shot to to catch long term from the prep level so i want to flip this a little bit it, what's the catcher um uh, crop like overall Let, let's include the college guys here if 
you know, I mean, you, you want to draft best player available, but when you get down into some of the, uh, when you get to day two, late day two, especially day three, sometimes the tiebreaker is, Hey, what's our organizational strength? What do we have at this yeah. position? What do we have, you know, player wise with this skill set, with this kind of power, lefty, righty, can he play center? Is he a catcher? Is he a shortstop? Is he a left-hander? Like whatever, whatever that might be. Sometimes those kinds of things are the tiebreakers. So if you're a club that's short on catching, which, oh, I don't know, Joe, let me see. 30 teams in baseball are short on catching. <laughs> uh, I mean, that is the honest to goodness truth, too. 30 Every teams in Major League Baseball do not have enough catching. It is extremely difficult to find. Uh, and the fact that the prep kids are so polarizing and, and difficult to project, um, send me right to the college ranks. What does that class look like uh, at the catcher position in college? I, I think we know who number one is. Um, but after that, is, is there is there another guy after uh, after the Virginia kid, or like, do There's we have to go down? Marks, man. The Ooh. reason the reason you don't hear about these guys is because so few can catch. Mm-hmm. I mean, a, a lot of these guys are are very marginal catchers, and they play because they have a strong arm and they can hit a little bit. Like, there's just not very many college catchers that project to catch. So many catchers at the big league level are converted outfielders or converted pitchers, or they come from the international ranks. Like it takes a special athlete and frankly, a special person to be able to handle that role 115 times over the course of the season. Kyle Teal might be that. I mean, he's wiry, he's athletic, he's explosive. He gets low in the crouch. He's got a strong arm like that. That kid out of Virginia is probably going to be a top 10 pick because he's such a unicorn. Once you get past Kyle Teal, I mean, I think Michael Carrico at, out of Davidson is probably going to go in the top four or five rounds, but he broke his wrist this year. So, you know, there's some doubts on the bat and the bat was going to be his biggest selling point. As I go down my list, the more guys that I read, the more people that I see here, uh, Devin Burks out of Kentucky, Garrett Guillaume out of Texas, Julian Brock out of Louisiana. Like these guys are all bats. These guys are not catchers. Like I think the guy that's lowest on my list that I think goes a lot earlier than I probably have him here, he's ranked number 315 right now. Connor Burns out of Long Beach State. He's probably a better defensive catcher than Kyle Teal. And even though I have him as like a 10th rounder, I bet he goes in the fifth mm-hmm. because the dude is definitely going to catch. And there is inherent value in even being a platoon catcher at the big league level who can who can handle either righties or lefties with the bat so um yeah man it's it's a really it's a really short list of guys that teams actually think will provide value back there what about devin burks from from kentucky are we talking about a day three kid or does he have a chance to sneak into day two just because it sounds like he's definitely a catcher He's a catcher. I mean, he's got big, big power. He kind of reminds me of Hunter Goodman from Memphis from a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. And all that guy's done is mash baseballs mash. Uh, mm-hmm. in, in Colorado's uh, system. So I think Burks is a guy that goes in the first five, six rounds. Uh, Julian Brock, probably in the first five or six rounds. Um, Calvin Harris out of Ole Miss, uh, the DJ. Not funny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Calvin Harris out of Ole Miss is a pretty good catcher with a little bit of a stick. He probably goes on day two, but yeah, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these guys that don't project to to stay behind the plate will just end up like you know Jack Payton at Louisville, um, 
who's the kid uh, Bolger, Jack Bolger at Vanderbilt, Corey Collins at Georgia. They just end up going on day three because it's like, well, maybe this kid can catch. Maybe he can hit a little bit. Um, and if and that's even getting the, a number two catcher, question, even getting a number two catcher out of like a seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh round pick, you're jumping for joy at this point. That's fantastic value. But like, if you if you have questions about them being a catcher, why not take a, a lefty that throws ninety four? Right. You know, that's what teams exactly. run into. Once you get into that fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth round, it's like, okay, is there a catcher here that we think can catch, or is there a interesting righty out of Wingate? that we think we could turn into something like that's usually what teams are battling with. And that's why you see like, you know, 75 or 80% of the picks on the second half of day two end up being arms. Mm. What, uh, let's finish up here. The, the, what is the strength of this draft? Let's, let's kill that your, your top, whatever your top 30 or so looks like right now. What's the strength of this draft after the top 30? Because a lot of times the last four or five years, it's, it's college pitching. That's not necessarily the case this year, is it? No, no, it's college bats. This is a good year for college bats. It's it's one of the better years I can remember for college bats. I do think the top 50 picks in this class are, are pretty strong. College outfielders, especially with, with Dylan Cruz and Wyatt Langford at the top. But, you know, like you look at some of these guys that are bat over pretty much everything, like Tommy Troy and Matt Shaw and even Chase Davis to a certain degree. Like he's, he's probably not going to be much more than fringy in a corner. Like there's a lot of guys that can really, really hit in this class. And I, I think for that reason, it's going to be pretty college bat heavy in the first round. Uh, and once you get past that, there's some really interesting high school infielders. Those would probably be the, the two demographics that, um, that I think look the best. I, I would kick it back to you because I want to know your opinion. Is there a specific demographic that you think best represents the health of a draft class? Cause I think I've, I've heard five or six different answers from five or six different types of people. Yeah, for me, it's the strength of this draft, what you just said. When there are college hitters and there's depth at that particular spot, whether it's first baseman, third baseman, it doesn't matter. If you get college position players that project as potential everyday players, that's the most important thing you can get. Pitching, you can find. Pitching, you can find. Uh, it, we have what we've seen over the last 10 years, Joe, you know this as well as anybody. We've seen players that go undrafted or that are 23rd round picks or 16th round picks or fifth round picks turn into aces. We've seen this occur. Jacob deGrom was not a first round draft pick. And he's probably the best pitcher most people that were born in the last 30 years have ever seen. Right? He's Pedro, he's Randy Johnson, he's legendary like the injuries is the only thing that might end up keeping him from the Hall of Fame. That's how good he is. Not a guy who was drafted high. Like we see this a lot. Guys taken in round two look like top five talents. Guys taken in round five end up being at the front of rotations. This happens a lot more with arms than it does with bats. So it it it, it probably depends on your club, but I think generally overall, I would imagine 20 clubs would say the same thing that we just did, that, that I just said. College bats is the thing you want. It's the easiest to project. The attrition rate in terms of injury is going to be lower than with college arms. That's the position teams are going to want to spend money on. Whether it's a second baseman or a uh, you know a left fielder, it doesn't really matter. If I can find hitters in the draft, I'll find arms. No matter which team I am, no matter which ballpark I play in, even the Colorado Rockies, I will find pitching and figure out everything else. I need to find a hitting in the draft. I learned that, I think, first, Joe, when I you go back to 
you go back to the Chris Bryant draft, if you remember that. Um, wasn't all that long ago. Mm-hmm. It, 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 was, uh, it was 10 years ago. It was 2013. I was convinced the Cubs were taking John Gray. out of. I, I was 100% convinced that's who they were taking. They scouted him so heavily, but they never actually considered him. It, it, once we got to April, it was over. It was Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant was going to be their guy. And I was surprised by that. And I had some folks in, in the industry tell me, you shouldn't be surprised by this. Let me tell you why. And it was the conversation we just had. You, you want that. You will figure out pitching. You'll figure that out. You'll find it. it, it it's, it's a risk you can take for a million bucks five times every year to find the guy that you're probably finding at number two overall in the draft. Now, sometimes a guy, you know, like Garrett Cole is available or Steven Strasburg is available. And there are some folks out there that think think maybe Paul Skeens is the closest thing to that we've seen in a little while. And maybe that's true. But how, how many number one or number two starters are you finding after the top five, after round one these days? A lot, like a lot, like most Most of them. them. It's crazy. So I think you look back at that, I think that was the year Mark Appel was the first pick by uh, by the Houston Astros. Chris Bryant goes two, John Gray goes three to the Rockies, Cole Stewart went four to the Twins, and then a bunch of bats you know, took over. Hunter Dozier was overdrafted that year, but it was because Kansas City would rather take a risk on a medium hitter than a pitcher like you know, like Phil Bickford, who ended up going two or three picks later, or uh, or oh, Brady the or or Chris Anderson. Yeah. So it, it, that draft taught me a ton about how teams look at the draft and and where value is and and you know, probability and risk and things like that. I think the strength of this draft is if you're just about any team in the league, that's what you want it to be. That's what you want it to be. But now here's the thing. I'm real big Joe on every draft, no matter how good or bad the class is, no matter what the strengths of it are is an opportunity for every organization in baseball, from the Reds and the Pirates and the Rays to the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Red Sox and all those teams that spend money, teams that don't spend. It is an opportunity, a very unique opportunity that happens three days a year for you to make up ground or put more ground between you and your competitors. You have to outdraft everybody. And I think you start with that. I think you start with position players. And then you fill everything in. If you go pitching heavy, Los Angeles Angels, you'll end up regretting it. And, and they already are. I think you can go pitching heavy once you get past the top 100 picks in every single draft. Mm-hmm. But I think that's what you're saying. And, and what you just said is exactly why I've continued to say, don't be surprised if Paul Skeens is there at four or five. Don't mm-hmm. be surprised if Chase Dolander is there at 12 or 13. And don't be surprised if Hurston Waldrop drops out of the top 25 picks. You know, mm. if you have the peace of mind of a guy that's going to hit, you can find Hurston Waldrop on yeah. the free agent market, like you said, for $2 million bucks, and sign him. Because and what is just, what is Waldrop's know, ceiling? Like a good three? Is that his ceiling? It's like, is, I mean, yeah, is it Mark, unless, unless you're is it Eduardo Rodriguez, two. right? Like those guys are always around. Yeah, they're I mean, always I around. Think maybe it's Kevin Gosman, you know, like maybe that's the because it's a splitter curveball fastball profile. But is he um, that good? Is he that good? Is he a five well, to six win starter? I think that's and the I question. think to, to this to this this is the conversation. Like Gosman's Gosman was the number three pick in the draft. Mm-hmm. And it took it's him a very while to get different. Too. Mm-hmm. And people were calling Gosman 
the best high school prospect. No, that's Bundy. But they were saying Gosman was one of the best pitching prospects they've ever seen. There was some Kurt so, Schilling thrown out there with Kevin. Gossman. If there's question marks on the on the profile, just take the take the floor. Take the you know, don't draft the reliever in the first round when and, you know and Kevin McGonagall's on the board. Yeah, and don't bring in. Uh, don't bring injury into this at a 25 to 50% higher clip if you don't need to. I think that's another big yep. thing here with pitching is the attrition rate. Uh, all right. The draft one month away, man. You know, you know what I keep thinking about Joe, how tired I am after the draft. <laughs> oh. Does that just tell you I'm getting older? Like I'm thinking about how tired I am and I'm thinking about like, um, like I can't wait till day three is over, but at the same time, I'm like, can the draft just be tomorrow? Can the draft, I don't mind the whole July thing. I don't mind. I'm not one of those that prefers it in June. I'm totally fine with them moving it back. And now it's it being part of like all-star week. And I, that's tough. Fine. Love it. It's great. I'll deal with it. Not an issue, but I'm like looking forward to day one and then looking forward to day three being over <laughs> already 30 days out. <laughs> day three is a long day. I'm one of those guys that, you yeah. know, straps in, buckles up my seatbelt and then goes to MLB.com and watches the tracker like a real mm -hmm. sicko. You know, there's nobody <laughs> announcing any picks. Right. You're just reading font. You're just reading. Yep. Yep. That's what I do. I, I do have something on. I turn the uh, I turn the the radio portion of it on on MLB Radio Network and and let that roll. But here's how it I don't I don't know how many people out there that that listen are old enough to remember when the Major League Baseball draft was a freaking conference call. There was no television. There was no radio. It was a conference call. And I remember about, uh, I want to say about 2004, 2005, when it finally got on the internet where you could click in and listen to the conference call. And for those of you who aren't familiar with this, I will tell you that rest in peace, Tommy Lasorda was the superstar of those conference calls. Joe, I don't know if you've heard these stories, but Tommy Lasorda would come on those. He would always represent the Dodgers. Whether, whether he was the manager or just an ambassador for that franchise, he was always the guy in the conference call. And it would essentially what it would be is like, all right, the Dodgers are now on the clock. And then the, the guy would come up and say, the Dodgers select, you know, player ID number 555-238, John Smith, right-hand pitcher, Utah State. And then they'd say Smith, Utah State. And then that would it. And then move on to the next team, right? So, but Tommy Lasorda was too colorful to, to, to do that. He would come on and say the greatest organization in sports, the Los Angeles Dodgers, select John Smith, right-hand pitcher, Utah, the beautiful state of Utah. He'd always have something colorful to add in there. And then like sometimes at the end, he'd say, God, you got to see the mountains in Utah. And it's like you're having a conversation with Tommy Lasorda. Everybody waited for the Tommy Lasorda, the Dodgers pick because it was Tommy Lasorda. I do miss the conference call days because of Tommy Lasorda, but uh, man, how uh, how times have changed. It's uh, televised. It's good for baseball. It's televised. It's great for baseball. And the event is great for baseball. Fans really galvanize around the event too. More and more and more every year. I love it. And and I understand it's not football. You're going to draft a guy at number one who's not going to play for you this year. And that's not the case in the NFL in most for the most part, unless it's the quarterback. Dylan Cruz, probably not going to play for that. I can't guarantee that. Probably not going to play for the Pirates in 2023. But uh, all bets are off for 2024. <laughs> That's why we like Dylan Cruz so much. Um, You're not lying. Really quick on the regionals, Joe, before we get out of here. Um, 
the Super Regionals, it's all set this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Lots of really good matchups, of course. Uh, if you had to pick a College World Series winner at this point, as it's been pared down, who do, who do you like? Because I got to tell you, I like the way Florida is playing right now. 48 and 15 on the year. I think they've won 11 of 14, including a sweep of top 10 Vanderbilt, two out of three versus top 25 Kentucky, a split with Vanderbilt in the SEC tourney after an 11-inning win over top 25 Alabama. They beat Texas Tech three times and four chances in the regionals heading into this weekend. And guess who they get? They get South Carolina. That Braves-Orioles-South Carolina fan is going to be watching Florida this weekend. I like I like Florida's chance. Without going chalk, I'm going Florida this weekend. I'm going Florida to win it all. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I do think Wake Forest is the heavy favorite, and they mm-hmm. haven't done anything to dissuade me from that. One I'll tell you the team that I think could win it all, and nobody's talking about him. I think Oral Roberts could win this whole thing. Really? I do. Really? Man. Like they I gotta, have. I, they I have, do like that Denton kid. I gotta tell you that. I'm a big fan of the Denton. That kid. that K Denton kid is probably a top, you know, two, three, fourth round arm. They've got another kid named uh, Jacob Widener who's going to be like the Chris Sale from the left side that Oregon Can't will pick probably get on Saturday or something. Can't see the Can't ball. Can't pick the ball up. They've got two bats that can really move things along. I mean, that Oral Roberts team looks really good, and they, they so they have Oregon in the first super here. I think they're going to take care of Oregon handedly, if I'm being honest with you. Then they'll have either TCU or Indiana State. I think they match up really well against those guys. But then it's to your point, it's it could be Oral Roberts against Florida, which I think would be, mm-hmm. I think that would be great. Oral Roberts for me is one of the top four teams left. That's I fun. would go and if this Oral is how Roberts, I would rank them. Yeah. I was just going to say, if Oral Roberts wins, Florida. this is Coastal Carolina all over again, isn't it? I mean, yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, nobody watches them. Nobody's seen Oral Roberts play all season, and then you see these kids, throw, you know, chucking ninety five, ninety six with crazy arm angles, and you know, like eighteen inches of run, and you know, eighty seven mile an hour sliders, and you're like, Jesus, what the? Denton where, comes at you. Are they Denton, cooking kids in a lab? Denton throws all his limbs at you at the same time. Like <laughs> it's that is a crazy. Denton crazy looks like Jake Arrieta. Yeah, it's it's pretty nuts. So you were gonna you're gonna give me your top four. Is Oral Roberts four on that list? Uh, it's a toss up between Oral Roberts and LSU. I I don't know if LSU has the pitching outside mm-hmm. of Skeens right. or the bats outside of Tommy White and Dylan Cruz. Like once you get through Tommy White and Dylan Cruz, like that LSU lineup, I think is a little overrated. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, I don't. I don't know who's going to come out of that. That LSU, Kentucky, Tennessee, Southern Miss. Would you just Southern Miss is nasty too? They've got four or five arms too. Would Would you just walk? If that's actually true, like if that's what you believe, and that's actually true, and this weekend LSU is is playing Kentucky, you you don't think you can? Like it? If the bases are Tommy White behind him, if the bases are empty, you just walk down. You don't. Okay. With what about Tommy White? Outs, you, you, if the bases are empty, do you just walk Tommy White then, or you just attack? Him yeah, the bases are empty? I would. Yeah, if if the if you just got Dylan Cruz out and there's now two outs with nobody on, I would walk Tommy White. Wow, you know, because yeah. the way those teams like LSU bludgeon you is they put up a six spot. So um, yeah. there's not a lot of oh, you know, LSU puts one on the board with one solo home run from Cade Beloso. Like there's not a lot of that going on in these games. Yeah, I think Kentucky's going to get boat raced by LSU, but 
I think Southern Miss could get uh, could give LSU a really tough time. Interesting. That'll be fun. College baseball, one of the more underrated it's uh, sick. sports. It's so, 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 so good. It's good in February, and it's great in uh, in May and June. That's the voice of Joe Doyle. Follow him on Twitter, at Joe Doyle, M-I-L-B, and obviously get his stuff, his rankings, his mock drafts at futurestarseries.com. Um Joe, always fun doing this. Uh, go watch some baseball, will you? Oh, yeah. Okay, if I have to. I'm not, <laughs> it, it's an order. I mean, that that's, comes straight from the top. <laughs> right, we've been told we got to go watch a bunch of baseball, so that's what we're going to do. Uh, that's all for us this week. We'll talk next week. This has been the FSS Plus Podcast. So just chill to the next episode.